0: Dialed into reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down. Stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell.
1: Thanks, Mav. This Reboots Extra Veterans Day 2017 edition of the com features Shane Dietert. Shane is a longtime friend from my broadcast journalism days, way back in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And until we hopped on an internet call earlier this year, I got to tell you, I had no idea that Shane had been aboard a U.S. Navy ship that was the first ever to survive a direct landmine hit. In the show notes, you're going to see links to several stories about the Samuel B. Roberts FFG 58. And you know something? Hearing and reading what my friend went through reminds me that most Americans today know someone who, in service to our nation, lives with the scars of combat, and we never know it. This conversation was the first I ever recorded for the podcast via an online interview. Shane was kind enough to serve as a beta test. While his story, as you're about to hear, is inspiring and it grades out at an A+, my technical skills, as you're also about to hear, grades out at about a C-minus. My audio editing skills, thankfully, have improved enough over the past few months that this week I decided to work around my bad audio and the noise from the interviewer's side of the tracks so that this story can finally serve to inspire someone else who needs to hear Shane's life. Shane and I each worked together for an assignment editor who demanded a lot of us. And when we felt like all was lost and we just couldn't put a story on the air, Rick Tabor would tell us, do what you can. And that's what I've tried to do with the technical limitations of this particular story. Shane talks about how he thrives in the high-stress environment of a newsroom, even today, and he is an assignment editor, even as he manages a range of issues, including dyslexia, post-traumatic stress disorder, and He is a recovering alcoholic. Shane shares the story of being adrift at sea, fighting to put out a massive fire, and how he and his shipmates worked so hard to keep that ship from sinking following the horrific 1988 explosion from an Iranian landmine. Hey Shane, thanks for joining us today.
2: Hey Tracy, thank you so much. I just appreciate you giving me the time and you know, I appreciate your friendship over the years and what you've shown me, you know, to be a journalist and help me along my way.
1: Well, tell me where you generally tell your story.
2: Uh first off, Tricia, for me I just want to give thanks and glory to God for putting me where He has put me. Uh I spend time going out speaking to schools when I get a chance. Uh I like about the you know I call it junior high, seventh to ninth grade, Uh, and you know, uh, just this past uh, spring, I went to the Future Business Leaders of America, the Arkansas chapters uh, conference in Little Rock, and I spoke to several uh, classes there, and uh, just about what I've done, what I've seen, where I've come from, and you know how blessed I I have been to you know be where I am today. So, uh, you know, anyone that'll listen, you know, I'll talk, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm not shy.
1: Why is it important for you to share your story so often? For me, Tracy, uh, I
2: come from a little town in Logan County Magazine. Uh, when I lived there, there, there were 400 people.
1: And that's our uh, good stop. Still-
2: Yes, in Arkansas, okay. you know, most people know Mountain Magazine, Mountain uh, mm-hmm. Magazine's at the bottom. Uh, if uh, I was in the first ever kindergarten class at Magazine Public Schools. I was dyslexic. Uh, mm-hmm. There were times where, you know, I was the clown to hide my education uh, or my problems, but uh, if I can be successful, anyone can do it.
1: Well... I guess this is probably a really good place to to dive in because you really caught my attention when you said that you're a journalist and that it's your passion and that you have dyslexia. And then <laughs> in a small town, and this was, you know, dyslexia is just now kind of beginning to be something that educators are trained to Help manage. I can. Im- I can imagine that you know, at our ages, you probably didn't have many resources. And my goodness, let's just unpack all of that because how does that even work? You know,
2: uh, I just. I had a teacher notice that I transposed transpose letters, numbers, and words. I will. I will mean to write the word was in a sentence and I'll write the were you know, but I read was. And uh so I, I had to compensate. Uh I I was I can remember the most mundane things. My wife calls me the king of useless trivia. So I would remember things and if I was called on to reading class, I tried to avoid it. So you know, I graduated uh, high school in 86, so this was about 74 that, you know, a teacher at magazine noticed it and then helped me with it. And then I, I battled with it with my uh, whole career, especially being on the assignment desk, because uh, um, some people see it, you know, not that I'm dyslexic, they think that the mistakes are, shows a sign of weakness or, you know, I'm not intelligent, I'm hurting my credibility, and now there's so many programs out there and I write something, I'll get up and walk away and come back. And of course I ask, you know, different people to proof it for me also.
1: So most of our, most of our listeners don't know what an assignment editor is. And I want to point out that you've know you you've worked at CNN in Atlanta. So, you know, to, to be on a desk, what does that mean, especially in Atlanta? Well, well uh, it was different in Atlanta. I was—they called me assignment
2: editor, but I was really a, a story producer. I, I worked with the uh, There's 900 CNN affiliates around the world, and I worked with affiliates in the western part of the country. And I would call, I would call them, see what they were doing, and if I liked a story, I could bring it in and pitch it to just CNN affiliates seen in shows or, you know, all seen in platforms. So I uh, probably the biggest story that I found was out of Spokane, Washington, where a station up there, KXTL, found uh, Rachel Dolezal, who she was uh, president of the chapter of the NAACP up there. And then she taught uh, ethical studies, African-American ethical studies, I believe is the correct. Term uh, for that course, she said she was black. Turns out she's not. She is white. So once I got that story, and I pitched it out everywhere. And uh, so you caused uh, that to go. You caused that to go viral. Then, ex- well, wow. I have to give credit to Spokane, but I brought it in, and then it went up everywhere. Wow. She wouldn't. She wouldn't talk to us. Uh, in, she went to NBC. Uh, the to, Today Show paid her. So uh and Jeff Zucker the president of CNN just has you know he doesn't pay so uh we would uh so we found her parents in uh I believe it was Wyoming or Montana so we talked to them and uh, and you know I was when I brought that story in and I pitched it out to everyone a coworker uh Chris Cuomo who had covered the Ferguson riots remembered seeing her in Ferguson And we had video of her, you know, standing up, uh, you know, this is, you know, when Black Lives Matter first started. And she was like saying, you know, as a black community, we ourselves must solve this. So she made several reports where she claimed that she was uh, uh, targeted for being black. She uh, rented a, a place on the farm for my man and she said nooses were found hanging in trees and stuff where they were it was because the man that owned the property was a hunter and he told her that, that that you know he hung animals up to clean them so uh but assignment there on the local level is to keep up with the crews and what's going on keep up with stories in the editorial control and to pass that information along to our producers and the management stats so, or you know we we may know what a story is going out the door, but we have to remember once the crew gets there, it may not be what we thought it was. So we have to be able to let it breathe and, you know, change our opinions. I have worked with people before who it didn't matter what the story was when you got out there, you had to uh, you know, make it with a shoehorn fit into what they thought. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. So all of this day-long managing of information and people ultimately has to result in filling a hole for each newscast. So you got to have something to fill that airtime every night. That's stressful.
2: It can be, but like I said, it's my passion. I always say that breaking news is my crack. And uh, it, for me, I mean, I just enjoy it and to be able to i mean i may not know it but i can touch people's lives in these stories we do and my job is to back up the reporter and photographer in the field and you know i just have to know enough to get them started and get them out in the field uh and uh, get them going in the direction you know where they're they're informed about the story you know i spent four years in the navy to pay for my college education but I mean there are a lot of times all you can do is smile and say yes sir you know and you can get people in the military itself that they're happiest when they're miserable and they've (laughs) got rank and they take it out on you you know and there's nothing you can do you know well that's not fair why not I know right why not Well, you know, it's when you sign up for the military, you agree that you give up your constitutional rights and GI stands for government issue. If you hurt yourself doing something stupid, they will write you up and prosecute you for damage to government property. And, uh, you know, there's, I know it's different nowadays, but you know, when, uh, uh supposedly and i don't know this because i went to boot camp you know in the uh winter of 86 i went in september of 86 to great lakes but supposedly now if you get too stressed in boot camp you've got cars that you can hold up and your drill instructor will stop and leave you alone so you can collect yourself well when my ship got blown up in the persian gulf we you know we had no choice we were either going to sink or we were going to save the ship and you know, we were 14 miles, and the closest country was Iran, and there were sharks and sea snakes. And we didn't want to go in that water, <laughs> you know, and there was no stress card. Tell me about that. Well, um, in January of 88, my ship, the Samuel B. Roberts, we were sent to the Persian Gulf to escort the re flag uh, Kuwaiti tankers. It was a program under uh, President Reagan. Uh, it was because the Iran-Iraq war was going on and they were sh- uh, mining these tankers. They were running up in, you know, these little uh, boats and shooting, you know, Sam Stinger missiles at them. So we went to protect them. And uh, we were down south, probably right around Oman, when a ship was being attacked up north. Uh, they had just left Kuwait. So we turned and we went full steam ahead to help them, help them. And about halfway up there, we realized we were in a minefield. So, you know, we shut everything down. But with the ship, and I was on the FFG, it's a small ship. It's if everyone, most people remember the Stark that got hit by the uh, Iraqi missiles. Same type of ship. So, and ships don't stop on a dime. You know, you're still going, even though you're you're going. And we hit a mine, a pressure mine that went down in the water. And then it, it came back up and blew up at the ship's uh, midship and went straight through our engine room and right out the stack. And uh, the only way to stop an explosion is for it to get out into air. If we'd have hit it an inch either way, we would have gone straight down. It broke every deck but one. And you know it was hard work and training that our captain had put us through. We thought that he'd been a jerk this whole time. The ship was only two years old. You know, and we have reunions, and you know, I think Captain Wren all the time. You know, and our uh, damage control officer, because, and there was no no book on how to fix it. We were the first ship ever to survive a direct mine hit, and we used pillows, mattresses, T-shirts to plug holes, whatever you know, duct tape, whatever we could get a hold of. You know, when we <laughs> when we ran out of materials, so, you know, and. That helps you. That that caused probably my biggest problem with my alcoholism. I tried to self-medicate to right around 93, 94. And, uh, you know, I finally realized uh, what alcohol was doing, what it was blocking. And I'd already gotten in trouble when I was in San Diego for my tech school because you're not supposed to stay in Tijuana past dark. Well, I, I kind of broke that rule, so I got – sent to rehab and uh i i didn't realize to take it seriously so instead of being there six weeks i was there 12 so when i finally finished when i finally stopped drinking i had the tools it was just putting them in uh
1: into use so let's go back to the 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 mine blowing up the boat how, how long were you out there scrambling, trying to stay alive? How many, was this days or hours before you got help? How did that work? Well, it was
2: almost, it, we struck the mine at six fifteen, 15 PM uh, local time there in, in the Persian Gulf. I, I believe they are seven or eight hours ahead of us and uh, no ships were able to come in and help us because we were in a minefield. Um, the injured were evacuated by helicopters and all ships have what are called apus it's basically the same thing as a trolling motor on a boat we usually go in and out of port uh, because we lost i mean our engine room was blown up and we had uh two gas turbine engines you know that we used And uh, so they were gone. So we used these APUs for twelve hours, and we got like eight miles away. And then the next morning, uh, ships were able to come help us, and we were towed to Dubai. And uh, but we were, you know, if we'd gone down, we would be to our, you know, up to our own devices. Uh, I was in communication. I was what was called a radio man, and I set up communications for the ship uh and i our captain came into the radio room and talked to the admiral who was head of the fleet in the mid east and the admiral asked our captain and the captain was standing behind me you know do you want to abandon ship and i hear our captain say you know no sir i would lose more men that way than i would trying to save the ship so you know at 20 years old that's kind of uh, startling. And the other thing too, is being that young, I was too stupid to realize the, uh, the whole, uh, picture and the danger we were in. (laughs) So, uh, youth at that point happened. Wow. Well, I'm sorry. Youth at that point helped. (laughs) There was just my dyslexia.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So now let's kind of go forward and, and this happens and you go, whoo, I survived and then you realize that was kind of a root of you wanting to escape pain. Was that a PTSD diagnosis? Well, uh,
2: I fought it for years, and I was finally diagnosed with PTSD in uh, 2006. Before that, I, you know, I drank, and then after I stopped, I, I, I became what some people in the, the AA community will realize is I was a dry drunk and uh i just tried to run from it so what does that mean uh i i wasn't drinking but i was still an alcoholic and uh well i'm an alcoholic today but i just didn't i tried to handle everything myself and uh it just didn't work out well and it's um, to me it's amazing that i made it from 1988 to 2006 Without receiving treatment, I take some medication for it. Uh, Lately, I've been, you know, when the Fitzgerald was uh, uh, damaged the other day and seven sailors were lost. uh, Yes, I do have medication, but something like that throws me for a loop. And, you know, I've been battling with some depression over that. I mean, they, the seven sailors that died in the birthing area, they didn't, They most likely they didn't die when they, uh, the ship was hit. They were probably awake or hurt and couldn't get out. And they had to make the decision to sacrifice the ship or seven men. So they, they shut that hatch off, you know? And we went through that in our engineering space with two guys missing. And as we were getting ready to uh, uh, shut the hatch, Uh, one of the guys in the rescue crew saw one of the missing guys' wedding ring reflect. So they opened it back up, and what had happened is they had been blown over into the hole in the water, and uh, Alex Perez, the guy whose wedding ring they saw, he had, uh, his back was broken, he was hurt, and he had a hold of this uh, still grating that, you know, there's different floors to walk around and look at the engine in and other than that we would have you know lost two men and we had we had several guys burnt really bad and i i I saw one of them come through because they brought him up near uh my deck where i worked in the radio room and uh you know to evacuate them in i thought he had a sheet over him but it was his skin hanging off so i'm you know and i never uh i went to the we had a reunion on the 25th anniversary and we went to Florida where the ship had been moved. And I, I still smelt burnt skin, you know, this many years later. So, you know, there, it, it, it was, uh, you know, a traumatic experience, but I laughed about it for so many years.
1: That brings up another question. You know, back in when, when I was a broadcast journalist, um, that's one of the triggers that I, I knew I was not going to be long for a beat reporter's world mm-hmm. because of the trauma that we see and the, the aromas, the smells of some horrific things. Um, and I know that you're behind a desk most of the time, but you still see and hear. How do you cope with those triggers from your boat getting blown up
2: well you know
1: it's a lot of prayer
2: and it's recognizing those triggers backing off uh doing a breathing exercise to you know get my stress level back down i like to compare the assignment desk as being a dock. you see me on top of water all nice and calm you don't know i'm paddling as hard as i can underwater and I like to be the calm one in situations. You know, newsrooms we've been in, there are screamers and yellers. And I think we worked with two of the, the biggest, you know, at 4029. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you have breaking news, but you've got to still fill up, you know, a 22-minute news hole. And now we do a nine o'clock broadcast, also on our sister CW station. You've still got to fill that. And most times breaking news is, you know, Maybe five minutes, so someone has to be able to control that, keep the other crews going where they're going, and you know I call it you know it's juggling, keeping all the balls in the air, making sure I have enough crews to cover the breaking news. And like I said, I just step back for a minute and collect myself. And one of the things um, I I really don't get bothered by horrible stories unless it involves elderly people kids or animals you know there are just uh, you know we had a guy the other day you know I don't wish evil on anyone but he blew off his leg because he was playing with a gun in a holster you know it's (laughs) I can't feel pity for that you know say a prayer and move on tell me about your deep breathing
1: exercises
2: how does that work You know, um, I just find a corner and shut my eyes and control my breathing, you know, in through my nose, out through my mouth. And, uh, you know, I bring the anxiety down. Uh, I started doing yoga a couple of years ago, which I thought was going to be sitting in a room singing Kumbaya, but it nearly kills me. (laughs) You Uh, know, and it, it just helps, you know, I say a little prayer and then I do these little exercises and. You know i'm human like everybody else i you know i still try to control things even though i know i'm supposed to turn it over to god you know i have to you know remember that old Stephen uh Stephen curtis chapman song you are god and i am not you know it's it's that that to get back and just and it only takes a sec you know a minute and a lot of times most people don't realize what i'm doing so and, and where I'm working at in Memphis, I have known the assignment editor and the news directors for years because before Fox uh, 16 Little Rock was bought by Nextar Broadcasting, the state, uh, this station here and my station Little Rock, we were in the same group. So I was thrilled to death. Uh, you know, I left uh, CNN last spring. Uh, my wife and I moved back to uh, Central Arkansas. My wife, Uh, has health issues and my daughter is an RN and we were back closer to family to help take care of Tammy. And uh, this, uh, you know, I was selling home security and I got a call and, you know, right after Thanksgiving from the assignment manager wanting to know if, you know, I would come talk to them. I'm like, yeah. And I came and talked to him on a Monday, accepted the job Wednesday and started the next week, you know, but, you know, for I needed to be humbled a little bit uh, from leaving CNN. I got a little bit too big for my pants. And, you know, God put me on the sidelines for a while. And then he, you know, I would interviewed several places, but then this, you know, Memphis popped up. I'd never thought about working in Memphis. but I'm in such a great situation. Our news director, Lisa Lovell, is uh, one of the uh, most, most down-to-earth people I've ever been around she is not a screamer she is you know she can be stern and you know and but respectful and my executive producers the same way and Kim Wheeler my assignment manager I love her to death like I said I've worked with her and uh you know when it you know some people were concerned can you you know can you work at a station not being management well yeah
1: I can you know You know, it's what I love. So what advice or encouragement do you have for someone who deals with anxiety or dyslexia or any sort of PTSD? Any of the things that you deal with that you've talked about, what, what kind of advice or encouragement do you have for someone like that?
2: You have to reach out for help. It's that simple. You can't solve it yourself. Uh, uh, turn your life over to God. Get in the Word. Find a uh, a church that you can get involved with. That you can get people that will help you. Uh, it, you're not the you're not the only one going through this, and uh, there are resources out there because you know. Like I said, I was a dry drunk for you know a long time because I didn't want to reach out, and uh, you know it's. There's help there. And, you know, God has a plan for you. You know, we talked about Jeremiah 29:11, and, you know, that's, you know, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not harm you plans to give you hope in the future. Now don't fight God. He has this plan for everybody. You know, we, I have people tell me, well, why does, you know, why does God let it, uh, we just had a two-year-old die here In a road raid incident and We had one back in Little Rock You know, back at the first of the year Why does God kill, you know, babies, you know he, That was his plan They were here as long as they needed to be And then God called them home There is a purpose You know, and we may never know the purpose And that's not our place To question or do And, you know, it's called faith And, you know, the Bible talks about Several times, you know you know, you have to have faith, and it's blind faith, and in my Bible study that I do here, uh, my coworkers and I, we talk about the faith that, uh, you know, people had back in the Old Testament, or, you know, the New Testament, I mean, talked about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and I can't pronounce the other person, yeah, Bendigo, when they were thrown into the furnace, you know, they told the king, you know, you know, our God will save us, and that was complete faith, you know, and they said, even if he doesn't, you know, we'll go to heaven to be with him, and, you know, the king looked down, and they weren't touched, and there was a fourth person in there, you know, they didn't have the Bible or the resources that we do today, they trusted God, and, you know, there's so many stories like that in the Bible, Jonah, Moses, you know, you if God wants you to do something, you can't run and hide because he'll still find you. You know, that's that's what he does. So just, you know, people need to get admit your admit your fault, your weakness and then seek help. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, Tracy. I mean, it's an honor and, I, you know, to do this with you. And I have, uh, you know, the most respect for you. you. You really taught me a lot of stuff about how to be a journalist.
1: Thank you, Shane, for teaching all of us how to live a life of joy. And thank you for sharing your story, not just here, but anywhere there are children who need to know career pursuits need not be dictated by one's limitations. And thank you, Shane, for reminding all of us that while our nation sets aside one day a year to soak in the sacrifice women and men like you have made, that you and your families live every day with the ramifications of your service. We offer up this special edition episode in honor of Shane and all those who have served and their families. My Uncle Howard was a retired and highly decorated Green Beret, and he came home from Vietnam and taught me a lot about service and sacrifice. Chief Master Sergeant Howard C. Funkhauser once wrote these words, Some days I even wish I had come home in a body bag, instead of progressively being a burden. So please don't tell me that I'm lucky. Not all scars show. Tell me instead that I am a survivor, and that you are glad I survived. Let me know that I am an asset to the world. Hear my repetitions of grief, my anger, my disappointments, and adjustments— Grant me patience as I really try to learn how to live anew. Then perhaps, someday, I shall learn how to be whole again. Accept my sorrow and feel joy again. Perhaps then it will have been good to have known me. I am so grateful for these words from my Uncle Howard. Rest in peace. To all those who have served thank you does seem so hollow. So on this Veterans Day 2017, may you feel as if we civilians have accepted your brokenness and your sorrow. And every day, may we express our gratitude that you are here, that you do survive, and that you are indeed an asset to this world. I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time.
0: We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.